Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey your word that I hear today in Yeshua's name. Amen. So last week, Rabbi Michael started this a series of giving us an introduction, sharing with the, the story of Hanukkah, giving us an overview of that. And then he encourages us on the theme of dedication because that's what the word Hanukkah means is dedication. And he talked to us how we needed to be dedicated to our faith, dedicated to the fight, and dedicated to the house of God, meaning the gathering together. And he also encourages that one of the biggest hindrances to our dedication is the spirit of compromise. And so we don't want to walk in compromise. So today I want to speak about lights. Obviously one of the uh, names of uh, Hanukkah is the Festival of Lights. And my message in, is entitled, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Going to Let It Shine. All right? So I want to speak on this. And this name came from... Obviously, it's called the Festival of Lights, but Josephus, who is uh, from the uh, Second Temple period, wrote in his book, The Antiquity of Jews, in book number seven. He was the first person to actually give it this name. So this is what he said. Nay, they were so very glad at the uh, revival of their customs, because Hanukkah has already taken place. Remember, Hanukkah took place before the New Covenant. And he's writing about it in his history book. They unexpectedly had regained the freedom of their worship, that they made it a law for their posterity, that they should keep a festival on account of the restoration of their temple worship for eight days. And from that time to this, we celebrate this festival and call it lights. I suppose the reason was because this liberty beyond our hopes appeared to us, and that's, hence was the name given to that festival. Uh, Judah also rebuilt the walls around the city and restored the towers of great height against the incursions of enemy and set guards therein. So Josephus is the first to record this as the name, the Festival of Lights. We know that we light the Hanukkah for eight days in remembrance of the miracle, which we sung about today. And we take that Shamash candle uh, and we light it first. And again, for those who maybe have never celebrated Hanukkah, uh, come, oh, we're not going to light the Hanukkah in the morning service. But I post every night, I have, so I, I have a collection of Hanukkahs. I have to stop buying them, but I like Hanukkahs. So you're going to see there's one candle that is set apart from all the others. And that's called the Shamash candle. Shamash means servant. And we light it first, and then we light all the other candles on the Hanukkah. And uh, the, this is in remembrance of, again, what God did there, that we uh, light all these candles. Finally, on the eighth day, we have, litten, uh, we have lit eight candles. So we know that light was the first thing that Adonai created in, uh, in Bereshit, and it's very important. In fact, the most important aspect of light is that it dispels darkness. What was on the face of the earth before Adonai created? Yeah, Choshek. Okay, it says there was darkness, Choshek. And the sages likened this darkness that was there before the creation of light to a dark spiritual darkness that came upon people when they were under foreign rule. And this is what our sages say. The earth was astonishingly empty and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the place of the water. 
Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish applied this verse to the foreign powers. Now the earth was empty, symbolizes Babylonian, astonishingly refers to Persia and Median. Darkness symbolizes Greece. In other words, that the light of God's presence in us was snuffed out when we came under foreign rule. So as believers, again, we recognize that Yeshua is the light of the world. And like the shamash, he gives light to us so that we can share that light with others. In fact, it's important to understand we have no light within ourselves. Even the rabbi rabbis recognize this. They said it is important to recognize that human beings are not light by nature. They say light must first be imparted to us before it can go forth from us. And that's exactly what happens once we receive Yeshua, the light of the world. In fact, Sir Rav Shaul tells us in Ephesians 5.8, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk then as children of light. So his light is in us to shine in the darkness that of the world around us so that others will be drawn to him. So how does that light shine through you and me? This morning, I want to look at how we can let our light shine. And I'm using light as an acronym, which I've done before in years past. It's an easy way to just spell out different things that we can do to let our little light shine. And hopefully it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Okay, so let's look at these. The first thing is to love unconditionally. Hopefully you have your notes, whether you're online listening, they post the notes there. Or if you came in, you should have received notes. I know we ran out, had to make a few more copies, but if you need one, wave your hand, we'll make sure you get one. So love unconditionally. How can I let my light shine? How can I let the light of God shine through me? I need to love unconditionally. We see the purest example of this, of course, in Adonai himself. Yochanan 3.16, many of us can recite this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only and unique son so that everyone who trusts in him may have eternal life instead of being utterly destroyed. The greatest demonstration of love, right? That he would send his one and only son. Why? Because he doesn't want us to walk in destruction. And Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah 31 2 in the Hebrew, 31 3 in the English says, From a distance, Adonai appeared to me, saying, I love you with an everlasting love. This is why, in my grace, I draw you to me. And then Romans 5 8, God demonstrates his own love for us, and that the Messiah died on our behalf while we were still sinners. That, my friends, is unconditional love. God didn't love us because we loved him first. It says, why we were still sinners. In other words, we weren't deserving of his love. We were doing our own thing. And most of us were doing a lot of things contrary to who God is and to what he says in his word. But still he loved us. All right? He loved us unconditionally. And we need to love unconditionally as well. What does this verse tell us? These verses tell us about Adonai's love. It's redeeming and it's unconditional. Why were we drawn to Adonai? Because of his great love. With everlasting kindness, I drew you to myself, he says. Think about it. There are many songs, movies, shows about finding real love. But true love is only found in Adonai. And we have found that true love. And we need to let that love ooze out of us, right, to people around us. So when we demonstrate the love of Messiah, we are shining that light into the darkness around us. Rav Shaul 
uh, gives us a very practical definition of what love should look like in 1 Corinthians 13. And I know we know this uh, passage very well, and it's often preached on at other times of the year. It's, it's read in marriage ceremonies because it's a very good definition of love. It says, love is patient. Selah. I could preach on every single one of these, but I won't. It's kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Selah. Think on that. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. I had to take care of that this week. It keeps no record of when it has been wronged. I'm pausing on purpose so it sinks into us. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So think of how you and I can demonstrate God's love to others using this description in 1 Corinthians 13. We show Adonai's love in being patient and kind. In our fast-paced world today, it is so easy to get annoyed and impatient at people because people are not helping us as fast as they think they should or their behavior is not acceptable to us and we get impatient. So Rena is talking about doing extra shopping this year. Well, you go to the grocery store and, and, and shopping, even to the grocery store. I have to watch my attitude because I feel pressure from the person behind me putting their things up and I've not even done yet and I'm like, okay, I just, you know, let me pay my, because <laughs> everyone's in a hurry, everyone pushing, pushing, pushing and we have to demonstrate God's love by being patient, not impatient. Kindness is something that is often lost in our world. Let's take the time to be kind. So I had to go to the post office the other day to put a couple things in the mail and pick up stamps for my birthday cards, you know, for the next year. And I uh, first dealt with my attitude because I was a little irritated that there's a long line and post office never gets anyone else to help. Whoever's there is it. It's one of the things. God bless the post office. But I had an attitude because that line and the door was open and you had to hold the door open and now you're in the lobby and so finally I get inside and I'm saying, okay, here, check your attitude. It's not a big deal, right? You'll make it to the office. You'll have plenty of time to do what you need to do. And then I see a lady step back from the counter. She has this huge box, probably as large as this Bima here, and another box. And so she's filling out paperwork. Obviously, she needed to do something wherever she was shipping it to. And now she has tape, and she's trying to tape it. So I put my boxes down because I had boxes as well. And I reached over, and I just pushed it together so that the tape can go, uh, go over it. And she said, thank you. A little act of kindness, right? We can all do that. We can look for people to be kind to every day of the week. There are so many small ways that we can show that. Shimon the righteous was accustomed to saying, the world is based on three things, on the Torah, on the service of God, and upon acts of loving kindness. That's found in Pirkei Avot, the sayings of the Father. So let's look at each of these qualities. Again, I'm not going to go through them all, but reflect on how we can practically demonstrate them. Don't be demanding. Don't be rude. Your light is not shining. 
when you're rude to others. In fact, man, you have just closed the door for them to be ever open to Yeshua, the Messiah. We want to shine like he did. He was the epitome of love. We need to love without expecting anything back. And we need to love with no strings attached. No matter what they do, love unconditionally. Think about it, Yeshua. Loved while he hung on the tree of sacrifice. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is, again, the epitome of love. The second thing we can do, we're going to love unconditionally. We're going to intercede passionately. I want to look at Adonai's example again in Romans 8. We're told, so who will bring a charge against God's chosen people? Certainly not God. He is the one who causes them to be considered righteous. Who punishes them? Certainly not the Messiah Yeshua, who died, and more than that has been raised and is at the right hand of God and is actually pleading or interceding on our behalf. So once again, God gives us his example of love and of intercession to follow. Look at some people who were great intercessors in the Bible. Look to the Torah, Moshe, in Devarim, chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. So I fell down before Adonai. This is when the people of Israel blew it again, all right? I fell down before Adonai for those 40 days and nights, and I lay there because Adonai had said he would destroy you. So he's recounting, you know, the book of Deuteronomy, I always tell the kids, is like Moses' farewell speech. But he recounts the other three books, you know, in that speech. And I prayed to Adonai and said, Adonai Elohim, don't destroy your people, your inheritance. You redeemed them through your greatness. You brought them out of Egypt with a strong hand. He interceded passionately. God, don't do this. For 40 days, he laid up there praying for them. At another point, he says, blot my name out. And that's what Rav Shaul did in Romans 10. One, he says, brothers, my heart's deepest desire and my prayer to God for Israel is for their salvation. Friends, we need to have a passion for the lost. We should be on our knees weeping and crying out for our family members in the Jewish community to come to know their Messiah. If we are going to be a light in this world, we must be intercessors. Intercessors means you're praying for someone else. Petition is when you're making your needs known to God, and you need to do that as well. But interceding means you are praying for someone else. An intercessor is someone who stands in the gap. And I've said this in many messages over the years, but it bears repeating. And I, there's several things I'm going to repeat from other messages because I can hear myself saying it in other messages. If you and I don't care enough to pray for our loved ones, hello, hello, something is not right. If you and I cannot intercede for those who are walking in darkness right now, friends, something is not right. If we are too busy, hello, to pray for our lost loved ones, something is not right. We need to intercede passionately. And I'm not ashamed to say, I, I start with my family. I have a large family. And I love them. If any of them are watching, you know that your Aunt Carol is praying for you. 
You know your sister, Carol, is praying for you, that your name would be written in the book of life. And I pray for many of your loved ones, the prodigals. You can ask on that Tuesday prayer meeting. Prodigals often come up because we're praying for revival and for souls. I call out your loved ones by name. Friends, there should be a passion. Yes, even Rob Shul says that a groaning. He says in Romans 8, there's a groaning that comes from, from within the, the ruach within us that we can't even speak the words, but it is him interceding through us. That's what should take place for the lost. We as a congregation need to take the time to intercede for our Jewish people's eyes to be open to the truth of who Yeshua is, that he is the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. And intercession is not just praying once. Intercession, true intercession, perseveres. It continues to knock on the doors of heaven until heaven is open and the manifestation of the answers come. For some of my family members, I've been praying for many, many years. There's a day of rejoicing coming when the new names are going to be written in the book of life. The angels are going to be rejoicing, and you better believe this rabbi is going to be hooting and a hollering because of some names in Missouri coming to faith in their Messiah, Yeshua. Intercession gives it all for that person or situation. Listen to Rav Shaul's heart in Romans 9, 1 through 3. I am speaking the truth. As one who belongs to the Messiah, I do not lie. And also bearing witness is my conscience governed by the rule of HaKodesh. My grief is so great. The pain in my heart is so constant that I could wish myself actually under God's curse and separated from the Messiah if it would help my brothers, my own flesh and blood. Friends, Rob Shaul understood something that we often don't really comprehend, and that is the lostness of our family members and the people around us. If we truly, truly comprehended it, we would be so much more active in interceding and sharing our faith, which I'll talk about later. It does not matter how good your child might be. It does not matter how kind your spouse may be. If one does not accept Yeshua as their means of atonement for their sins, they will spend eternity in the fires of hell. I know people don't like to preach about hell much, but I'm here to tell you it is real. And I do not want any of my family members to spend eternity there. That causes a deep grief in my heart, as Rob Shaul says. I can relate to that. And I can instantly, you know, uh, a month or so ago, there was a great need about one of my nephews, and I got a text, and I went, and my son came running up like something was wrong because I went into my bedroom, and I began instantly to weep and to cry, and I went into immediate intercession because of the state of what was going on in that per young person's life at that moment in time. Friends, that's what we need to grab hold of. We need to carve out time in our busy schedule 
and get into that closet and say, God, give me a burden for my children. Give me a burden for my aunts and uncles, for my nephews and nieces, for my neighbor, for the Jewish people that you called us to be a light to. Give me a burden that will well up within me, that will cause me to cry and to weep before your throne for their salvation. Another problem is that most people in our society do not know that they are lost. Because your kids will tell you, I'm a good person, Mom. And that's why we need to pray for them to see their lostness. In Luke 15, Yeshua shares three stories that illustrate how people are lost without him. The first is the lost sheep because of carelessness. This sheep became lost. The second was the coin. It became lost again because of the carelessness of others. The sheep strayed away on his own. And the third was the prodigal son, and he became lost because of his choices. But the truth is they were all lost. And I've shared this scripture many times before from the story of the prodigal son. And this is a verse I pray often over those who are prodigals those who knew and came to a congregation like Beth Emanuel, it says of that prodigal son, he came to his senses. See, it's good to pray the Bible. So I'll pray that over uh, uh, people. God, I pray they come to their senses and they see that where they're at right now is not where they need to be. And they come to their senses and they return to you. And we need to con be content not with just one or two. Yeshua was not content with the 99 he went and found that one more we need to always be looking for the next one to bring them in i mean my challenge to you all year is just to believe for one person and this congregation would be double next week if we each brought one person to faith but we shouldn't be content with one two three four there are so many illustrations that are rushing in my mind that I can think about. Remember the little girl from Brownsville who stood on the platform like this, like this. And the pastor asked her, what are you doing? I'm pulling people out of hell. Every time her arm went down, she feel, felt fire hot, and she pulled them out. That's the burden we should have for the lost that we're interceding passionately for them. Many of us have heard the story of Oscar Schindler, the Gentile man during World War II who ended up rescuing 1,200 Jewish people in Poland from extermination. He made a list and saved everyone on that list. But at the end of the world, he was upset. Why? He said, because he did not do more. Because he did not do more. Friends, the lost and dying are all around us. Intercede for them. Intercession takes time. As I said, if we're too busy to pray, then we're just too busy, and something needs to change in our life. We need to have a passion for the lost and lay it all on the line to see people come to faith. John Knox was the leader of the Great Awakening in Scotland, and he prayed this prayer, give me Scotland or I die. So one article written about him says this, the devout Catholic Mary, Queen of Scots, nicknamed Bloody Mary, if you know the history, because she was Catholic and she didn't like Protestants, and yes, she killed them, is reputed to have said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled 
armies of Europe. This article said, why do you think the queen said this? Well, because she saw the impact of Knox's prayer. From a human point of view, it was the prayer of Knox that uh, sparked the Reformation in Scotland. His prayer became the fuel of the ongoing Reformation during his time. His prayer shook the land of Scotland, causing a revival among God's people. Because he prayed. He prayed passionately. So let's develop a passion for the lost. Pray, weep, groan, cry out for them day and night until you see them come to faith. I want hell to be fearful of Beth Emanuel. When hell looks at Beth Emanuel, that they're fearful because they know we're serious about prayer and we're serious about interceding to bring people out of darkness into the kingdom of light. The next thing is to give freely. Adonai, as we already said, gave the greatest gift of all. Yochanan told us he sent his one and only son to die for mankind. If Hashem never did anything else, Dayenu, it would be enough. But he continues to give. In Luke 6:38, we are encouraged, give and it will be given to you. The full measure, compacted, shaken together, and overflowing will be put right in your lap. For the measure with which you measure out will be used to measure back to you. How do we shine this little light of mine to give freely? Listen to this story uh, from the rabbis. The Midrash tells that Rabbi Akiva was once traveling on a ship. When he noticed in the distance another ship which was sinking, Rabbi Akiva knew that there was a scholar on the sinking ship who would no doubt drown. But when Rabbi Akiva came to shore and visited the synagogue, he saw the man engaged in study. How were you saved from the seeking ship, Rabbi Akiva asked. Your prayers must have helped me, for I was thrown from wave to wave until I found myself on shore. What good deed did you do to merit being saved, asked Rabbi Akiva. So the rabbi said, as I boarded the ship, a poor man came and asked for food. I gave him bread. The poor man said to me, just like you have saved my life, may Hashem save your life. So I'm hearing, hearing this, Rabbi Akiva reminded everyone the words of Shlomo HaMelech, cast your bread upon the water, and in time you will find it. The point of the story is the guy gave freely, and, and God gave back to him. And that's what Luke says, give and it will be given back to you. Not that that's why we give, but we give freely, and God is going to take care of us. Matthew, Matthew 10.8 says, freely you have received, freely give. How can we be stingy when God has given so much to us? Again, my name is written in the book of life. So is yours. If you have accepted Yeshua as your Messiah, and if you have not, we're going to give you opportunity to do that here in a few minutes. Friends, that is such a gracious gift. I could never, ever save myself. All of my righteousness, I am told by the prophet Isaiah, is like filthy rags, no matter how good I think I am. I could never, ever save myself from the punishment. But God did. He gave me that gift of eternal life. How can I be stingy? How can we be stingy? He bestows his kindness and his mercy on us day after day. He provides for our needs. He protects us. He blesses us. So freely we must give. 
what has been given to us. One writer described the meaning of this verse as follows. If you take in but never give out, you become fat. If you give out but never take in, you become faint. But if you take in and give out, you become fit. That's what we need to do. Freely you have received, I'm receiving, but I'm going to freely give as well. Think about it, friends. Adonai has given us authority and power not to be exercised for self-indulgence, but to be a light to the people around us. Like Kepha and Yochanan in Acts chapter 3, we need to say, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, which is authority, power, grace, I give to you in the name of Yeshua, rise and be healed. We must be givers who freely give, not begrudgingly, not stingy. Oh, I have to. The rabbi and Reen are twisting my arm to give to those veterans. I better put something in. Friends, freely give. Freely, generously give to others. That's how we let the light shine. Next is to humble ourselves. Micah 6, 8. He has showed you, O man, what is good and what does Adonai require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. How can I let his light shine through me is to humble myself. We talked a little bit about this in our Wednesday night Bible study. Put a plug in for that. Come Wednesday night. It is streaming, but I want to tell you it's better in person. Just ask Gary Salad. But we talked about pride a little bit on Wednesday night. Rob Shule writes, do nothing out of rivalry or vanity, but in humility regard each other as better than ourselves. Look out for each other's interests and not just your own. Pride is destructive, friends. It's destructive not only to you personally, but to others around you. It destroys a home, a workplace, and a community. Rob Shule once again gives us practical tips on how to walk in humility. First, think of others first. Put other people ahead of you. And in a selfie society, that's not easy. I never get the selfies right. I never take of myself, but I do it with my family. And I like the picture, and I'll know, Mom, someone else always takes the camera. So put others first. And this is not in a self-derogatory manner, but it is a conscious decision that I will think of others before I think of myself. It's an act, an unselfish act. Secondly, I'm to be concerned for other people's interests before I'm concerned for mine. Right? We've shared this illustration before, but on the, the plane, what does it say? First, put your oxygen mask on before you take care of someone else, right? Well, this is the reverse. Take care of the others before you take care of yourself. God's kingdom is, is opposite. It means I'm not so focused on my success that I ignore other people or focused on my lives and the issues that I'm facing that I fail to see the needs and hurts of other people in my life that God brings into my life. Let's face it, friends. This journey called life has a few little bumps in it. We'll call them that. There are challenges. If we, if we were to look back over this last week and everyone were to tell me what went wrong in this week, <laughs> 
all the challenges you had, we'd be here for a long time. Bad stuff happens all the time to all of us. Again, even those little things, the thing fell out of the refrigerator and spilled all over the floor, then you had to clean it up and you're trying to rush out. All those types of things. And it happened to anyone else besides me? No. These things, right? And so we can get so consumed by the things that are happening in our life that we don't see the needs of others. But when I humble myself, I am looking to see what is going on in someone else's life and trying to put their needs ahead of mine. One rabbi wrote this, arrogance, haughtiness, these traits awaken resistance. They disturb others. Humility, on the other hand, awakens fondness, favor, pleasantness. A humble person does not compete with others. He does not wish to stand out, to try to be more than others. He is happy with his lot and thankful for everything he has. A humble person is even made happy by the good fortune of others. Their virtues do not cause him discomfort, and therefore they have no second thoughts about assisting him, elevating him, granting him important positions, for he will accept the responsibility with humility and will fulfill it for the sake of the general good, not for himself. The writer goes on to say, we found then that humility is not characterized by a sense of nothingness, despair, and sadness. A humble person recognizes his virtues, yet he does not attribute them to himself. He knows that God is the one who gives him the strength to do good things. The more virtues he acquires, the more humble he becomes. And he feels himself all the more obligated to thank God for all the good he has been given. Therefore, he is filled with joy and strength, which comes from trusting in God. A proud person, on the other hand, attributes all greatness to himself, thus isolating himself. Who likes to be around someone who's proud? Not me. You're like, okay, let's turn the other way. This is what this rabbi is saying. He does not feel as if it is God who gives him strength, and therefore he lacks confidence and is liable to fall. He does not have power of peace of mind, and his happiness is not true happiness. So we do not want to walk in pride. Pride shuts down the light of God right in us. As this rabbi say, a proud person, on the other hand, attributes all greatness to himself, isolating himself. So if you and I walk around with pride in our heart, whether it's spiritual pride, and that's what believers sometimes do, you know, oh, well, I'm a believer. and I, I want to tell you, you're isolating yourself. Those people are going to run from you. There's no light shining from you. So we are going to let this little light of ours shine. So we need to humble ourselves. Look at your rabbi. I'm going to tell you straight up what that means. Get rid of your stinky attitude, okay? Get rid of, well, I'm right and they're wrong. I don't care who's right and who's wrong. Humility means I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to uh, lower myself for the sake of the good and for the sake of Messiah shining through me. I don't have to vindicate whether I'm right or wrong. You know, I'm going to stand before a righteous judge one day. I don't want to tell you he's going to right every wrong that has ever happened to me. And again, I could go through a list of things that have been, okay, as if everyone could. Humility means I will take the low road. I will look to exalt others and help them to succeed. And our last point, which goes with our, all of these, goes together, but this goes really with intercession, is I'm going to let my light shine 
I need to talk to people about God. We share this so many times, but our society intimidates us to be quiet about our faith. It really has tried to marginalize us and shut us up. I've shared this a lot recently, but through our monthly meetings with Susan Mendelson, we have been encouraged to look for ways to bring God into the conversation. And she's not the first to encourage us to do this. As I was preparing this message, I can remember Stuart Winograd speaking here many years ago and telling us that when we're in the grocery store, it's not about that tomato or cucumber you're looking at. It's about the person standing across uh, the uh, counter, okay, that we again have to have God's antenna on to be alert to who he brings into our lives. So we did a series this summer called The Greatest Commission based on Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So let's read these verses here. Yeshua came and talked with him. This is our Wednesday night study. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make people from all nations into Talmudim, immersing them in the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I will be with you always, yes, even until the end of the age. So it was a great study. You can find it on YouTube. If you missed the Wednesday night studies, go back. It was an awesome study. It was like three months of the summer. And we discussed these verses and other verses. We discussed what they meant. We encouraged each other with practical ways to fulfill this great commission. But, but, but are we doing it? So when it comes to the word of God, you can listen to this message. You can come over and tell me afterwards, a great message, Rabbi Carol, awesome. I don't care that you tell me it's a great message. I know it's the word of God, and I know it's going to do what God accomplishes if we cooperate with it. We need to do what God's word tells us to do. So we spent a whole summer talking about how to share our faith. In other words, how to talk to people about God, but are we doing it? If we're going to let his light shine, we need to talk about God. And again, in the simplest ways, I shared this in the, the Tuesday meeting. I prayed for this as I was, went into Aldi's. I had to pick something up, and the woman was there by me coming out with her cart. She says, you can go ahead of me. I'm going slow. And I'm like, okay. She says, yeah, I hurt my arm. And then I saw her arm. She said, I broke my shoulder. I said, oh, no, yeah, I'm in a lot of pain. Now I was halfway out the door, but I turned back, and I stretched my hand towards her, and I said, I speak healing to your shoulder. Okay. Well, who's going to say that? All right, that was bringing God, even though I didn't mention God, but I said, I speak healing to your shoulder. And I prayed for her there in our Tuesday prayer meeting that she would be healed and that she would know that that was a God thing. We need to pray fervently, intercession, but we need to put feet to our prayers and we need to go and tell people about Yeshua. Tell them how much he loves them. Tell them there's hope for their future in him. Let's be agents of change. Invite them to come and see what you're talking about. Look in, this, uh, in Yochanan 1. I think we looked at this in the summer series of Andrew and Philip when they met Yeshua for the first time. Chapter four, uh, 1, verse 41. The first thing he, Andrew, did was to find his brother Shimon and tell him, we found the Mashiach. The word means one who has been anointed. 
42, 42, he took him to Yeshua, looking at him. Yeshua said, you are Shimon bar Yochanan, and you will be known as Kepha, and that name means rock. The next day, having decided to leave for the Galil, Yeshua found Philip and said, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the town where Andrew and Kepha lived, and Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one that Moshe wrote about in the Torah, also the prophets. It's Yosef, Yeshua ben Yosef from Netzeret. Invite people to come hear about Yeshua. A book we are reading uh, for the staff is reading. We're going to have a discussion on this at the beginning of the year. Our volunteer staff says that 70%, say that number with me, 70% of people who ever come into a congregation, who ever come here to Beth Emanuel, will become because of a personal invitation. A personal invitation. That means you or I said, Adeline, do you want to come to service with me? So Adeline got a personal invitation. Who did you get the personal invitation from? From Rita. She came. She's a Gentile woman. She came on the Rosh Hashanah service. I walked off this platform, and she was down here. I talked to her for a few minutes. I said, would you like to receive Yeshua? She said, yes. I prayed with her. She's our nursery director. Her kids are growing up in the congregation. Jordan's in Bat Mitzvah. Someone invited her to this congregation. 70% of the people who ever go to a local congregation go because they're invited. Now, we're going to continue to do all the other types of outreaches. I have blasted Facebook with all of our <laughs> events. I'm in like uh, 15 different groups, and I share them all, but nothing like a personal invite. And that's why I have said all year long, and you're going to hear it next year and the year after and the year out, one person. Can we believe that we can talk to one person and see them come to faith and being made into disciples through the ministry of Beth Emanuel? Well, I think we can. And that's how we're going to let our light shine, is that we talk to others about God. Bring God into the conversation. Again, you don't have to beat him over the head with your Bible. It just can be a natural thing of what God is doing in your life. Share him with other people. Don't be afraid. Oh, but you don't know, Rabbi Carol. Yes, I do. Okay? I have the same type of family members that you have. They're lost. And they act like they're lost. Just saying. I mean, you know, yes, most of them grew up in a congregation. I do give that, say that. My parents were godly parents. And I'm so grateful for my mom taking all uh, of us to a congregation around the corner. Uh, and th that is where I encountered Yeshua. And my dad did not like staying home. You think he would? I shared this before. Six kids out of the house. But he didn't like it. So he decided to go with my mom the next week. And my parents both came to faith. So there's that foundation there. But when they don't know God, they don't know God. And as I said, the people don't know they don't know God. They think they do. All right? So we have to tell them the truth. You know, I was like you once. I thought I was okay, too. But this is the reality. I wasn't. I was lost. But now I found. I was blind, but now I see. We can share that with anyone. So you have opportunities to invite people. Rena shared about our Hanukkah. One, you should invite someone every week to come with you. I know, but they say no, so keep saying no. Four years, 
my husband's brother-in-law told him about Yeshua for four years. And on the outside, he looked so disinterested. But every time he went into his room and was alone, he thought on what was shared, and he knew from the beginning it was true. But it took four years before he said yes to Yeshua. Fred and Natalie, for over a year, I would call. Would you like to come this week? No? Okay. I call back. Hi, do you think you come this week? No. But here they are in the congregation many, many years. They were in the old blue house. They've been here for years. We won't say how old you are, but you've been here for a long time. <laughs> it's okay if people say no. I never get deterred by no's. I never give up unless someone tells me, don't bother me anymore. And even then, I have to confess, I might give a little time and reach out again, just saying. we got to talk to people about God. God is awesome. God is who they need. Because, friends, one day life on this earth is going to be over for every single one of us. If Yeshua splits the eastern side of the sky, then it's going to happen in a spectacular way. And if not... Again, 120 years, that's what I'm believing for on this earth. It, it, will, it will be over at some point for every single person. And they will stand before a righteous judge. And the only way they will enjoy eternity in heaven is that they embrace and accept Yeshua. How will they hear if we don't go? Friends, let the light shine by talking to others about God. So as we enter into Hanukkah next Sunday night, is our first night, we want to allow the light of Messiah to shine through us, not just at Hanukkah time, but throughout the entire year. And how can we do that? To love unconditionally, to intercede passionately, to give freely, to humble ourselves, and to talk to others about Yeshua. Talk to others about Yeshua. Let's stand to our feet. Adonai, we thank you for encouraging us today. We thank you for being an example of all these things you ask us to do. You are the greatest, greatest one to demonstrate love. Your love is so great. And all these things, God, you humbled yourself. You intercede for us. You gave freely. You told us the truth, God. So I pray that you would help us to be that same light to those around us. God, I thank you that there are people in each of our lives right now, our family, of course, but even beyond our family, who you want us to be a light to, God. And Lord, I pray that in this week ahead, we would be the light that shines and penetrates through the darkness. You, your power and your anointing would flow through us with such a power and might of the Ruach HaKodesh that the darkness would be dispelled and the light of your glory would shine and lives would be changed and touched. Help us to demonstrate love to those who need it, God. There are many hurting people in our world. Let us love them unconditionally. God, I pray for intercession to increase in this congregation, God. Father, in the middle of the day, in the evening hours, a spirit of intercession would just come upon your people, God, and we would just begin to cry out for our loved ones and for others. God, help us to give freely, Lord. 
not to be stingy, Lord, when we see a need to be the first to, to, to give something, Lord, whether it's our time, our money, or something in the natural, whatever we could do. Our God, I pray that we would humble ourselves. God, never, never let us walk around prideful, God, thinking who we are in you. And God, let us be quick to tell people about you. You're coming. You're going to come soon, God. God, I have so many family members that need to know you, God. Help me to continue to talk to them about you and to the Jewish people you bring into my life to tell them of your goodness and of your mercy, that your light would shine brightly. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. I want to give opportunity, if you do not know Yeshua, I want to lead you in a prayer. This prayer is just the beginning, but it's an important step that you're going to take. If you pray this prayer with me and you're here in the sanctuary, you're online. I've had several people online pray this prayer with me and reach out to me. Reach out to me because Michael and I want to encourage you in the decision that you're about to make. Because God does love you. God does love you. And he did send his one and only son, Yeshua, who is the Messiah of Israel and is the Savior of the world. And we'll talk with you more about that if you want. But I want to tell you, he loves you, loves you so much that he has you listening to this message today. Whether you're listening to it live, whether you're watching the streaming later or listening to the podcast that Randy puts up every week on all those venues, however you got to listen to this, I want to tell you it's because God loves you and he wants you to know him. So I'm going to lead in the prayer. I'm going to ask the people in Beth Emanuel to pray this prayer with me. And if you pray this prayer for the first time, please talk to me. Email me. You can, the contact information is there on Facebook and YouTube. And, uh, and I will respond. So let's pray this. Adonai, thank you for loving me and sending Yeshua to die for my sins. I repent and accept Yeshua. Amen. Encourage you again. It's the best decision you ever made. I was six years old when I made that decision, and my life was forever, ever changed. And uh, God is a good God, and he will uh, do wonderful things uh, in your life. And please uh, reach out to me and Michael so we can encourage you and help you to grow in the decision that you just made. I want to bless you with the ironic benediction. If you signed up for the membership class, we were going to make our way up to the mezzanine. Uh, we have a little lunch up there, and then we'll go into the membership class. Everyone else, God bless you. Have a great Shabbat. Join us uh, Wednesday night for Bible study. Uh, Tuesday prayer at uh, 1 to 2, Thursday prayer 7 to 8, and of course back here next Saturday, and then begins our Hanukkah week of festivities. So sign up, register, get other people to come with you. It's a great opportunity to tell someone and bring them out with you. So, and next Saturday will be our first meeting for those who signed up for the Purim play. That meeting will be next Saturday after service as well. So, May you walk in God's peace. May you be his light that shine in the darkness this week. I believe to hear testimonies every day of what God does to you. Blessings upon you. Shabbat shalom. Thank you.